Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Let me just preface by saying I did not get chat GPT to write my sermon today, okay? I actually did not. Um, but I thought, you know what, let's see what kind of sermon titles chat GPT could come up with for me today. Now, I think that maybe whoever programmed chat GPT, uh, the only source material that they gave them was like maybe a Joyce Myers book from the early 2000s. So, um, some of these options are pretty interesting. So I, I also have to say these in a Southern accent. It just, it just feels wrong not to. So the first title option for today was Liberation Station, Journeying in Christ's Freedom. Liberty Lane, Finding Your Stride in Christ. Wings of Faith, Soaring in Christ's Freedom. The Open Road, Journeying in Christ's Freedom. Now this one, I like this one. No Free Lunch, The Real Deal on Freedom. Freedom's dues, what you got to fork over. The last two here, counting the beans, the cost of true freedom. And the last one, freedom's check, cash or charge. Now, those are all pretty terrible. Uh, But then after I got those all spat out at me, I was like, oh, great. Now I have to come up with a sermon title better than those. And those are all terrible. Mine's not much better, uh, but today the sermon is called The Cost of Freedom. The Cost of Freedom. We're going to be looking at Galatians 5 and kind of walking through Galatians 5. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Galatians 5, it will also be on the screen behind me. So Galatians 5 verse 1 is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here now, that you're in this place, and that you are present with us, God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit comes and partners with us to guide and to direct us. God, we thank you that you paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And Lord, today I pray that we would be able to walk out in that freedom, that we would know what it means to walk out in that freedom. God, I thank you that you are good, that your your mercies are new every day, and that you're grace lifts us up when we stumble. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So for the past, uh, I actually got this sermon given to me, not given to me, sorry. Pastor Jeremy and Brett told me I was going to be preaching on freedom a month ago. So I've been thinking about this a long time, and in the last month, it's been one of the craziest months of my life um, as far as like dealing with freedom issues in the church, whether that's people in the church kind of not being free or that's personal stuff happening. Um, but that also related into our, our personal life. And so uh, just last week, uh, our two-and-a-half-year-old Lucy, she is getting rambunctious, and she's fully, like, she's just trying to be like her big sister. And uh, so the other day, none of our kids had ever crawled out of their crib. Like, if you know Annie, She's like a pretty like straight edge kind of kid. She doesn't really push the envelope at all. And of course, the second born, the you know much more creative, innovative, handsome in my case. Um, the second born always likes to push the envelope a little bit. 
And so the other day, uh, I'm lying in bed, and I wake up to Lucy yelling, I did it! And we're like, oh boy, what did she do? And so Haley goes into the bedroom, and she walks into, the, into Lucy's bedroom, and Lucy is straddling her crib, ready to escape from her crib. She was very proud that she had finally overcome this obstacle in her life. And she wasn't afraid to tell us that she did it. She was proud of herself. What, what was there to be ashamed of? She didn't realize that that crib was put in place from us so that she could not get out of it. Now, when I think about freedom, I think about my child escaping from her crib. She felt like she needed that freedom. She felt like she needed to be able to get out, to explore, to turn on her light, to leave her bedroom. In the case of like a few days ago, to walk downstairs, to stick USB into electrical outlets the wrong way. She felt like she needed that freedom. And while I want her to have that freedom one day, I did not want her to have that freedom the other day. And so I think sometimes when we approach freedom, we feel the same way as Lucy did. We feel like, oh man, I just want to be free. I just want to be able to do whatever I want, wherever I want, with whoever I want. And as Christians, we, we read the Bible and we see that the Bible says that Christ has set us free. He set us free. And so we have this freedom. And sometimes when we think about freedom in a Christian context, we think about like freedom from addiction or freedom from sin or freedom from internal oppression. Or maybe we, we think about freedom from like rules and regulations, you know, depending on which stream you come from in the Christian world. You might think about freedom like, don't tell me how I can worship God. That's freedom. But if you've been a Christian for more than four minutes, you know that Christ has set you free, but you still deal with stuff. You still deal with temptation. You still deal with bondage. It's not just snap, crackle, pop, and all of a sudden, you're free from all of the oppression that ever weighed down on you. You're free from yourself, the sin that weighs you down. It doesn't happen that way. And I think that there's a confusion sometimes around freedom, especially for people who are desperately calling out to God, God, I want freedom from this addiction. I want freedom from this thing. And sometimes we just want God to come in and scoop us out of it and take us out of that sin or that addiction or that, those laws or those rules that we're following. But how does the Bible define freedom? So today we're looking at the, the book of Galatians and the background uh, preceding verses or chapter 5 is that the church of Galatia had been dealing with this, this problem. There were some Jews that were outside the church. They weren't really part of the church and they were telling the Christian Jews in Galatia and not just the Christians but the the, sorry, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. They were telling them that they needed to continue following the law. Now, the thing that they were kind of like focusing on, that Paul was focusing on in this book, was circumcision. I'm not diving into circumcision today. I'll let Jeremy deal with that another day. Um, but circumcision was simply an example of following the law. That the law said you had to be circumcised after seven days. And the Judaizers were saying, you have to be circumcised. Even though you're a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, you don't have to do that. And there's, as you read Galatians, it's, it's hard to wrap it all up into one Sunday morning service. But when you read Galatians, you feel this real tension in the book of Galatians. You feel like there's like a pulling back and forth. And as I've been wrestling with this freedom sermon, I have felt this same tension. And I've seen this tension in our world. 
And I've seen that as Christians, we all face this tension of what does freedom mean? What does freedom mean? And I think that as I looked into it more, I think the reason that there is a tension in Galatians and there's a tension in our lives is because we have a few options after we become Christians. And with those options comes some tension and some negatives. So the tension is between legalism and liberty. Legalism and liberty. Let's read Galatians 5.1 again. It is for freedom... Chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think it's interesting that right after Paul says Christ has set you free, it's not even in the next verse. It's in the same verse. He says, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For me, it's a great relief that Paul says this because he's, he's not just like saying, like, name it and claim it. Like, Christ has set you free. Like, you're good. He's saying, no, like, yes, Christ has absolutely set you free, but stand firm. You have to stand firm and not let yourselves be pulled one way or be pulled the other way. The Christian walk is defined by tension. Every single time that we preach, every single time you look at scripture, there's tension there. Because it's like you go one way too far, you go the other way too far, and you've erred either way. There's always a tension. We're we're pulled in both directions towards liberty and towards legalism. And I think one of the reasons for that is that in the Christian walk, there's something that scholars call the no longer and the not yet. The no longer and the not yet. The no longer is that we are no longer bound by sin and we're no longer bound by the law. We're no longer bound by sickness, disease, hurt, all of those things. And we claim that and we believe that. But there's also the not yet, which means we haven't seen the fullness of that. Yes, Jesus has come and he's taken those things from us. But we still deal with sickness. We still deal with bondage. We still deal with all of those things. And it's not because Jesus isn't powerful enough to get us through those things. It's not because he can't do it. It's because we live in a world of sin. And one day he will do it when we are seated with him in heaven. So we're pulled in these two directions, liberty and legalism. And we see, uh, if we look in the Bible, I always love to look at the Israelites because the Israelites are me. And, but I can look at the Israelites and be like, those guys are idiots, where I won't look at myself and be like, I'm an idiot. So it's good to look in the Bible at what the Israelites did, because the Israelites actually represent us. They represent what we do and our journey with God. And so we all know the story of the Prince of Egypt, right? Even if you haven't heard the story, you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, right? Great movie, great soundtrack. I should probably just play that soundtrack behind me the whole, yeah. Honest, why did chat GPT not suggest that? What a failure. Um, so the Israelites, the Israelites were bound in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. And then God says, I'm going to come and rescue you. I've heard your cries. I've heard your calls. I'm going to come rescue you. And God actually does what we as Christians want God to do. He did that to the Israelites. He said, I'm going to scoop you out of here. I'm going to just throw away all your enemies. I'm going to radically, massively deliver you from the land of Egypt. And so we know the story. The, the plagues came and, you know, Pharaoh gets all mad and the whole bit. And the Israelites 
finally are able to leave Egypt. And it actually says in the Bible that they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians were so scared of them that they just gave them all their gold and all their valuables. And so like, what greater of an example of freedom? Like, God, that's the freedom that I want in my life. And then we kind of end the story there. But the reality is, is just a little while later, not even a year later, they're dealing with making gold images. They're dealing with not believing that God will take them into the promised land and deliver them. They're, they're dealing with themselves. They're dealing with this tension, this tension of, okay, we have freedom from Israel. What does that look like now? And I think that's why Paul says in this verse that, yes, Christ has made us free, but stand firm. Because the Israelites, they did not stand firm. And it did not go well for them. Often we pray the same thing. We say, God, set me free from X, Y, and Z. God, help me with this or that. And I think that oftentimes he does. But then the next day, we come into another situation where we need to stand firm, and we choose not to stand firm. We choose to walk the other direction. We want God to make the decision for us, but he's left that in our hands. So Romans 6, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have, been brought, who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an in instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. That's the tension that we deal with. We deal with we are free, but we still struggle with legalism and we still struggle with liberty, our own liberty. So let's look at legalism a little bit. So the first thing that we can fall into is the bondage of legalism. The Dictionary of Bible Theme defines legalism as the belief that salvation demands or depends upon total obedience to the letter of the law. Let me say that again. The belief that salvation demands or depends upon total obedience to the letter of the law. That means that, that legalism is believing that what we do will somehow give us the ability to be in relationship with God. That somehow what we earn, what we do, will give us right standing with God. So the Galatian church was struggling with this legalism. It was struggling with these outside forces telling them, hey, you need to do these things. You need to jump through these hoops to, in order to have salvation, in order to have true freedom. But this is what Paul says in Galatians 4, or in Galatians 5, verses 4 and 5. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. So rather than the law making, making you good, the law giving you, er, giving you salvation, it says it has actually alienated you from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So even here, Paul is saying we're in the already and not yet. We're in the, the God has already delivered us, but we haven't fully seen that yet because we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. See, nothing that we ever do, nothing that we do, even the good things that we do, can ever earn our salvation or our freedom. It is by faith alone that we gain our righteousness and freedom. It's not by what we do. 
It's by who we follow. It's not by the good things or the bad things that we have done. It's by the blood of Christ that we have our freedom. So the Galatians needed to understand their freedom from the law of Moses. They needed to understand that the law of Moses actually wasn't good enough. The Bible says that the law of Moses was just, it was like an attempt to be good enough, but it wasn't quite good enough. It wasn't, it wasn't an atonement for their sin. And it's not just, it wasn't just the Galatian church that fell into this error. Jesus talked about this all the time in his ministry on earth. John 8, 31 to 36 says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus, so this is, he's talking to the Jews who have believed Jesus. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now these Jews didn't really like him saying this. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. That's like a little bit of a weird statement. Have they looked at their family history? How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now at first reading, we can look at that and be like, what are they talking about? They have almost perpetually been in bondage. They have almost never not been in bondage. What are they talking about? Are these guys like delusional? They, they don't understand that they're even currently under Roman rule? Well, that's, that's, the easy, that's the easy out for that verse, but what it actually is talking about is they believed that because of their birthright, because God had said, the Jews are my chosen people, I have come to take the Jews, and I have set them apart from other people, that they had, they believed that they had salvation through their birthright. They had salvation through who they were. They believed it didn't really matter if Rome was in control of them or you know, if Babylon was in control of them, because they knew that God had said that they were his people. But what Jesus does is he turns this, and he says that it's not your birthright that gives you freedom. It's not saying, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm a Jew, so I'm free. I'm a Christian, so I'm free. See, freedom from legalism can only be found in Christ. It's not the law that saves us. It's not what we do that saves us. It's not circumcision that saves us. It's not following the Ten Commandments that saves us. This applies to us because sometimes I think that we, we can, you know, shrug it off and be like, oh, well, I, like, I, I'm not a Jew. I, I don't follow the laws of Moses. Like, I don't deal with legalism. But the reality is we make decisions every single day based out of guilt, out of obligation, out of shame, out of pride, Things, we, we do things, we say, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm just going to do it for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my truth, and I'm just going to do it for me. And we start building these decisions and these laws around our lives that aren't inviting Jesus into them, that are simply inviting our good decision, or maybe even our bad decisions, that might be inviting our guilt, oh, I'm not going to do this because. And it doesn't invite Jesus into our lives. We deal with legalism. Every single one of us deals with legalism. So now I say all of this, and just like Paul, I want to put a giant asterisk on there, and I say we still need to be wise, and we still need to put principles in our lives that keep us safe and that protect us 
from things on the outside. We still might need to go to counseling. We still might need to go see a therapist. We still might need to take certain medication. But we always need to invite Jesus into those things so that Jesus is a part of it. So that's the first, is bondage of legalism. The second bondage that we can face is bondage of liberty, which is a very weird thing to say. Bondage of liberty. Galatians 5, 13 to 14 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors as yourself. So we're not only free from needing to earn our salvation. We're not only free from the law and trying to do good things or trying to do things to earn our salvation. Christ has also made us free of needing to fall into sin, into the bondage that holds us. But once again, we kind of find ourselves in that tension. Like, what does it mean that we're free? What does it mean that Christ makes us free in our freedom? Well, Romans 6, 12 to 16 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because you're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which, leaves, which leads to righteousness. You see, what Paul is saying here, and what Jesus was saying to the Jews, was that it's not, it's not about freedom. It's, it's what we become a slave to that makes us free or that puts us in bondage. If we're a slave to the law, or if we're a slave to sin, that puts us in bondage. But if we're a slave to righteousness... If we allow Jesus to be the one who sets our standard, if we allow Jesus to show us what real freedom means, then we are truly free. It's not my choices. It's not, oh, Seb's moral standard is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It's what is God's standard for my life? What has the Holy Spirit convicted me of? We need to become people who are submitted to a standard greater than ourselves. When we look in ourselves, we don't find good things. Yes, there are good things there, but if you look at a kid, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. I look at them, there's a lot of bad things in there, and I didn't teach them those bad things, right? We all know that. You're just like, come on, who put that demon in there? And you're just like, how are these children so, like, what is going on? Maybe I'm just a bad dad, Right? But we realize that when we look within ourselves, we don't find good things. Like I said, there are some good things, but when we look to Christ, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who is our standard, who we should be looking to, to lead us and to direct us. See, when we try to come up with our own standards, we end up legalistic. And when we don't have any standards, we end up with a confused liberty True freedom in Christ is submitting to him and his desires for our lives and allowing his standard for our lives to become our goal. So I have a really terrible graphic um, that we can put up on the screen here. You like that? Look at that. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a mixture because I had, oh, that's, oh, crazy. My thing did not send properly. Anyways, that's fine. I don't know how to pronounce that word, so I changed it to liberty, but it obviously didn't change on this graphic. So licentiousness, I think, is how it's pronounced. But this graphic, sometimes we can look at uh, liberty and legalism as like a straight line, right? Like we have legalism over here, we have God-centered here, and we have liberty over here. And we think, oh, if we're too, if we're too liberal, we need to add some legalism so that we can become closer to Christ. Or if we're too legalistic, we need to add some freedom so that we're closer to Christ. But what the Bible says is it's not a linear line like that. It's actually a circle like this. God is in the center, and whether we go to liberty or licentiousness or legalism, both of those end in self-centeredness. And so it's not about becoming more liberal if we're too uh, legalistic. It's not about becoming more legalistic if we're too liberal. The goal is that we have God as the center and that we're aimed towards God because the other two lead to self-centeredness. It leads to pride. It leads to destruction. It leads to all sorts of bondage and not freedom. All right, you can take that off of there. So how do we actually see this freedom in our lives. Like I said, we've all, anyone who's been a Christian for more than four minutes, we deal with this. And we're like, God, save me from this thing. And then it's like, we fall into it again. And we fall into it again. And we fall into it again. And we make the same stupid mistakes over and over again. And then like we put some random rules in our lives and quickly those become legalism. And then we don't even realize that we're living our lives based on legalism, not on a relationship with Jesus. And like, it, it just leads to death and it leads to this spiraling where we're just like, God, I need, I need something. Well, thankfully, Paul talks about it. Freedom comes by walking in the Spirit. We live in this freedom with allowing, without allowing sin to rule in our lives and legalism to creep in by walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 21 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. They are in tension with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I think that's, that's an interesting line. The acts of the flesh are obvious. You're wondering, oh, well, God, I want like a very specific list of all the things I should and should not do. Well, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like, just in case that wasn't enough, and the like, things like that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, true freedom in Christ means that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and lead our lives. But for myself, the area that I find actually really hard, and I shouldn't admit this, but the area that I find really hard is being intentional to spend the time I need with God in order for the Holy Spirit to calibrate which direction I'm going. It's hard for me to spend, you know, I can spend easily two hours watching YouTube or watching a movie or scrolling through whatever, but to spend two hours on my knees asking God, God, show me the direction. That's hard. That's really hard. It takes hard work. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about uh, Google Maps. 
or Apple Maps. Apple Maps, risky. <sighs> no, nobody use it, yeah. Um, Google Maps, when, when you put into Google Maps an address that you've been to 100 times, I don't, I don't know why I do this. I think I just want to know how long it's going to take me to get someplace. I'm still a two-year-old inside. And so I put in Google Maps places that I'm very familiar with all the time. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a different route, maybe there's construction, maybe there's something. And when it's something that I'm really familiar with, I don't really look at Google Maps very often. I kind of like, it's just there, but it's not like a real factor in my life. But when I go to a new city or a new country or just a new address that I've never been to before, and I turn Google Maps on, I am like glued to Google Maps the whole time. I'm making sure that every single time I make the right turn, that I'm like getting ahead of, of when the next turn is to make sure that I'm going to the right place. And I actually think that's what it's kind of like in our walk with God. Maybe there's certain things in your life that like they're just not a huge issue. There's some sin things or there's some legalism things that aren't like the biggest issue in your life. And that's kind of like going to a familiar place that you, you already know. You're, you're walking by the Spirit, you're confident in the Spirit, and you're inviting God into that, but you're not constantly like looking at that looking at the maps. But there are areas that trip you up constantly. Maybe there's, you know, in the Google Maps analogy, maybe there's an address you go to and you always make the wrong turn. Maybe in your life, there's a sin that you've been dealing with or there's, there's a rule or a, or a legalistic tendency you've been dealing with and every single time you get to a certain spot, you always make the wrong turn. You always make the wrong decision. You always make the wrong step. Well, just like with Google Maps, our eyes need to be glued on the Holy Spirit. We need to be walking in step with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead us. Because those areas, let's be honest, we know what those areas are. The Holy Spirit has already convicted us of those areas. He's saying, hey, I want to work on this thing with you. Hey, you've made the wrong turn like a hundred times here. And he's saying, I want to partner together with you to make the right turn. But you need to be really, really intentional you need to really, really put the right things in place so that you're making good decisions. Your eyes need to be glued to the Holy Spirit in the direction that he's guiding you. How does the Holy Spirit direct us and guide us? He directs us with conviction, with peace, with wisdom from others. And he directs us with practical tools too. It's not like we're completely outside of practical tools. If you're sick, go to a doctor. They know things that I don't know. Romans 6, 6-7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, the thing that we need to understand is that when we become Christians, we literally crucify our old lives, our old desires, the things that we like, our, the temptations. We crucify all of those things with Christ. And the only way that our lives are risen is with him, is with Christ, that our lives are Christ. Colossians says that our lives become Christ. And he walks with us. Our old lives are dead and we only find life in Jesus. Now this can seem like a lot, but with, with the girl, with my girls, uh, they have a playroom. And I don't know, so their daycare, their day home gave them like a 
makeup kit thing. And it has literally a thousand pieces. Like, I'm sure the day home gave it to us because they didn't want to deal with the cleanup of this terrible, but like amazing, like the girls love this toy, but I hate this toy because it's got a thousand tiny little pieces to it. And so the girls, they go into their room and they, they're playing and, and it's good. And they're playing with all these toys and they dump out all these bins. And like after half an hour of playing, their rooms are a total disaster. And I can't function in a world where my house is a total disaster in any way. And Haley really can't function in that world. And so we come to the girls and we say, girls, clean up your room. This is unacceptable. Now, I say it nicer than that, and it's in a baby voice. Um, But I ask them to clean up their rooms. And what I've found is that when I say, do better, clean up your rooms, I'm giving you a five-minute timer, and I'm out of here. If, you, if I come back and this isn't cleaned up, you are going to get all kinds of consequences. You're not going to have a cookie for the rest of your life. When I say that, they absolutely crumble and will do absolutely no help to clean the room. There's, it's, it's not even going to start. They're not even going to pick up a single toy. There might be one toy on the ground. They will not pick it up. But if I approach it saying, hey, girls, we need to clean up your room and daddy's going to get on his knees next to you, and I'm going to help you. We're going to put a five-minute timer on it. We're going to do this together. Wow, the the response is completely different. They say, yeah, let's do this. This is great. Well, the results are the exact same. The work is the exact same. It's all exactly the same, but the difference is that I'm not coming and saying, do this or else. I'm saying, I'm partnering with you to do this task, and that's what grace is. That's what Jesus does with us. He says, you have freedom. Yes, yes, I'm saying you need to clean your room. Jesus is saying, clean your room. But you don't have to do it alone. I'm here with you, and I want to walk in step with you. I want to help you with this task, because I know that this task is is too much for you. I know that you'll crumble, and that you'll fall apart, and you won't even try if I'm not there with you. See, his grace gives us freedom. And that's where I could end, but... I want to kind of go a little bit further with this because it's easy to hear a sermon like this and to say, oh man, I know Joe Blow really needs help with freedom. I know Jane Doe, oh, she she has some problems with legalism. She's got some problems with sin and addiction. But what I want to challenge you with today is stop looking at Joe Blow and Jane Doe and start looking at yourself. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and he wants to point out things in your lives that maybe you've given up on, maybe you felt overwhelmed with. He wants to walk in step with you to help make those things more like him. So we're actually going to continue in Galatians 5, 22 to 25. Because not only does Paul talk about legalism, not only does he talk about, he says we're free, but he talks about legalism, then he talks about sin, and then he says the Holy Spirit's walking with you, but how do you know, how do you know, you know, it's hard sometimes to be self-aware. Like if I ask my kids, hey, do you realize you throw a massive temper tantrum every time I ask you to clean your room? They would not be self-aware. They wouldn't be like, yeah, dad, like, they wouldn't say that. We do the same thing, right? We're not really self-aware sometimes of the sin that we've allowed to settle in our lives. And so there's actually a test that we can do for ourselves. And, and Paul talks about it in Galatians 5, 22 to 25. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are what show 
when we're living in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are the results of walking by the Spirit. If we are walking by ourselves, we will not have these fruit of the Spirit. If we are walking with Jesus, these fruit of the Spirit will be very obvious to ourselves and to others. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we have freedom in Christ, and that freedom means that we are able to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, he gives us freedom to walk in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of, the, one of the books I was reading this week about this, he says, thus the fruit of the Spirit is freedom. The fruit of the Spirit is freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to exude joy. Freedom to manifest peace. Freedom to display patience. And so on. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what verse 1 says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Well, for freedom, I don't understand the tense of that. Why? What do you mean for freedom that Christ has set us free? This means that Christian liberty is freedom for others. Freedom that finds its true expression not in theological privatism. In other words, I am free to believe anything I choose. Or spiritual narcissism. I am free to be myself no matter what but rather freedom to love and serve one another in the context of the body of Christ. That's amazing. We, we can see what the freedom that Christ has given us is for. It's not just for ourselves. In fact, all of those fruit of the Spirit are for other people. It's not just for me. It's for other people. Sometimes we can get so focused on me, 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 me. I need to get better at this. I need to do better at that. But the Spirit comes alongside us and says, let's develop these things in you so that you can serve others and you can show others who I am. So your homework for this week is, you know, in the midst of the winter darkness, I don't know if we should be doing this homework this week, but your homework this week is to be a little introspective this week and ask the Holy Spirit what fruit you are producing in your life. The fruit that you're producing in your life might be a hint to whether you're struggling with legalism, whether you're struggling with liberty, or whether you're walking in the spirit. It might point to something in our lives that we need to say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to partner with me on this and walk with me through this. We can't do this alone, church, and we shouldn't do this alone. It's just too much for us. And I'll also say that every single person has a relationship with the Holy Spirit because people are at different points of the journey. You might have totally overcome this thing and somebody else might be terrible at this thing. But the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us about specific things that matter to us. And that's why I say, let's not look around at the other people around us. Sure, you can ask your spouse, hey, what are the things that like, what fruit am I producing? That's gonna be a hard question to ask. But it might be a good question to ask your spouse. But let's not look at other people. Let's look at ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we can produce fruit, a fruit that lasts, a fruit that shows people Jesus in us. 
a fruit that we know we are free to walk in Jesus, that our moral standards aren't self-created. Our moral standards are coming from Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Galatians 5, 25, the last verse of this section says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love when the verses just say all the things that you wanted to say. Like, when I read this first, at first, I didn't see all of those breakdowns this way, but the Bible wants to speak to us, and so we can go to the Bible. The Bible is a mirror into our lives to show us the areas that we need to change. But Galatians 5.25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's make every effort to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. Let's, let's pause some of that screen time. Let's pause some of that Netflix time. Even five minutes, like five minutes. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. Five minutes of prayer every single day will change your life. Let's keep in step with the Spirit and allow his conviction to change us and know that his grace is there to pick us up and to work alongside us. So I'm gonna finish this morning just with one quote from my favorite uh, commentary, and he says, will you yield to him and let him work? Will you yield to him and let him work? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here now, that you have so many good things in store for your people, that you have set us free, free from ourselves, free from bondage of sin, free from legalism, free from having to do the right things all the time. God, we thank you that your grace is bigger than us, that your grace picks us up and partners with us, and that your spirit lives in us. God, I thank you that you've given us your word that can speak to us, and you've given us people that can give us wisdom. God, I thank you for the natural things in this world that you've put as well. God, I thank you for sleep and eating and just working out and doing things that make us feel better and, God, that can help us point in your direction. God, I pray that you'd help us every single day to follow you, that we would be in step with the Spirit, that we would not be lagging behind what the Spirit is doing, that we'd not be running ahead of what the Spirit is doing, but we would simply be in step, that we would be like that Google map, that we would be checking every single time, every single time. We'd be checking and checking and checking. Their eyes would be glued to you. God, I thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you have good plans for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you. 